Welcome to Victory Church Podcast. At Victory, we are committed to connecting people to God, His church and their purpose. For more information, visit victorychurch.net.au. Now prepare your heart to hear a word from God today. Who loves having good friends? You do. I, I love having good friends. And one thing I'm very, very grateful to God for is the incredible friendship circle that I keep. I, I love the people that God has brought into my world that I would refer to not as just friends, but really, really good friends. In actual fact, one of the things I love most about church is the many relationships that have been formed and started with the birthdays we get to celebrate, the relationships that get started in church. I I love young love. I don't know about you. I'm not cynical when it comes to young people falling in love. I love young love. I love when that blossoms in a healthy environment and a healthy relationship. And then there's this announcement that they are now officially Facebook dating. That's a really exciting day. That's a big one. It wasn't a big one in my day, but that's a biggie. That's where it starts. If ain't Facebook official, it don't count. It doesn't count. Back in the day, what made it official is when you'd say, will you go out with me? But now it's Facebook official. Um, and that's a big one. I love that. I, I, do, I, I, I don't know, is this me? Come on. I love that moment. And then obviously to see it blossom into another big announcement, engagement, and then there's weddings, and then there's baby announcements. And it's a really, really exciting thing to be involved in people's lives. And it's an aspect of what I love about church, the relationships, the family, the fun, the friendships that take place. And we get to be a part of it. And as leaders, we get to announce it. To be able to say, hey, so-and-so is getting married, so-and-so is having a baby. It's really, really precious. Um, The other side is that we get to do funerals, which are sad, but equally as special. To be there with people that you love dearly in the most vulnerable time of their life is one of the most special moments, I can say, as a pastor that I've ever experienced. You know, I love all the highs, but those lows, to be there for people, for people to entrust themselves to your care at that time really, really is a privilege. And it's all founded on relationship and friendship. In actual fact, Christianity is birthed out of friendship. You know that? You know, when Jesus was on the planet, he got accused of many things. Here's three of them. They said that he was a drunken, a drunkard, sorry, that he was a glutton, which means he actually according to them, drank too much and ate too much. He was having way too much fun. And get this, this this is a shocker. This accusation is an absolute shocker. You ready for it? He said, he's a friend of sinners. (laughs) I mean, that is terrible. Jesus getting accused of befriending sinners. I, I don't know about you, but for me, if I was Jesus, I'm like, yes. Yes, I am. I'm a friend of sinners. Christianity is birthed in friendship. It starts with friendship. Jesus befriended people. You and I need to befriend people. As wonderful as that is, and as wonderful as friendship is, The thing that I felt God lay upon my heart in this season, that for many of us, as good as friendship is, we've camped there. And so this morning, 
because we're taking a break from our series. Like I said, I would. We're going to do the Minor Prophets in stages. I want to share with you a message that I've entitled Beyond Friendship. Say with me, Beyond Friendship. I believe it's a very now word. I'm about to go on holidays tomorrow uh, for a couple of weeks and I, and I feel to leave you with this weighty word, this word that God has placed upon, upon my heart to be able to go beyond friendship. In Matthew 28 verse 19, it says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Question. If you knew that you would never see your loved ones again, what would you say to them? Because that's essentially what's happening here. If you had someone in your world that you loved dearly and you knew you were not going to see them again, let's just say you were on your deathbed and you had your family and your friends around. I'm sure what we would say would be many and varied, but I don't think it would be superficial. I don't think the last thing we would say to our family on our deathbed would be, Go crows! Particularly if you're Port Adelaide supporter. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be that superficial. It's going to be something weighty. Yeah. It's going to be something meaningful. Yeah. It's going to be something generational. Yeah. It's going to be something that outlives you and outlives that moment. Yeah. And that's exactly what we have here with Jesus. Jesus knew he was about to be taken up into heaven, he was about to leave those that he loved. And what he was about to say was really important. Jesus says, I want you to make disciples. I want you to baptise them. And I want you to teach them. Today, I think we can be guilty of teaching a lot of people, baptising some people, and producing very few disciples. Andy Stanley says this, the greatest contribution to the kingdom of God may not be something you do, but someone you raise. See, discipleship is God's plan to bring us to maturity. Here's a newsflash for each and every one of us. God wants us to grow up, not just grow old. Everyone grows old, but not everyone grows up. Discipleship is about us growing up. Yeah? We don't tend, I believe, to do discipleship well. If we do anything at all, we tend to teach. And teaching definitely has its place. And if you are a teacher, I'm not here having a go at you, but it does have its limits. As does a church service like this, it has its limits. Teaching has its place, but it is limited. See, people are less comfortable in a classroom, especially when it comes to boys. A lot of teachers out there would know that. Boys drop out of high school at a rate 30% higher than girls. 90% of expulsions in Britain, uh, British grammar schools are boys. 
People are changed by what they experience, not just what they are told. And so the classroom, as good as it is, has its limits. And I believe this is where discipleship comes in. And so this morning, I want to look at a few things about discipleship that will hopefully encourage and inspire us to take our friendships, which is an incredible foundation, to another level. Number one, discipleship brings maturity, not just knowledge. See, knowledge is what you know. Knowledge is what you know. I don't know if anyone out there is like me, but they got caught up in the spelling bee that was on television. Did anyone get into that? Did anyone get involved in the spelling bee that was on television more recently? I was fascinated by these little kids. I mean, some of them were as young as eight years of age, spelling words I'd never seen before. Spelling words I couldn't even pronounce. You know, I mean, they are smart kids. It's just an amazing demonstration of smartness. Smartness, S-M-A-R-T-N-E-S-S. Is that right? Can't say double S, you've got to say S-S. Smartness. And the pronouncer say, that is not a word. Um, but, but, but it's amazing, man. And, and, and you know, to see this young Indian guy get the trophy, which is amazing. We all knew the Aussie wasn't going to win, didn't we? We knew that. We always knew it was going to be out of the Indian or the Asian kid, but not the Aussie kid. So, But we gave it our best. We did. We, we tried. We tried. And, and knowledge is great. And I'm not here to mock that. But, but that's just one aspect. It's knowledge. But how many of us, if we're honest, know a lot of things? In actual fact, if you've been coming to this church six months or more, you probably know more than you give yourself credit for. You know, we, we know much of what the Bible says. We know much of God's heart. The Bible says, do not gossip. We know that. So that's what knowledge is. Knowledge knows stuff. But it, the difference between knowledge and maturity is that while knowledge knows stuff, maturity is what you do with what you know. It's what you do with what you know. A quick stock take for all of us is what do we do with what we know? What are we actually doing with it? See, genuine discipleship happens when we spur one another on. In Hebrews chapter 10, sorry it's not on the screen, but in Hebrews chapter 10 verse 24, it says, Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Love and good deeds. See, friendship can love, but to get your friends to do something that is good that they don't want to do, that's where the problem lies. And this is where friendships are either lost or strengthened. It's okay to say, I love you. That's awesome. That's friendship. That's all. Awesome. I just love being around you. It's amazing. Hey, let's go to the crows and do what we want to do. And to be honest, I wish Jesus said on his parting words, go and make friends. Imagine Jesus saying, go into all the world and make 
friends. That appeals to all of us. Travel the world and have fun. It sounds like a gap year. I wish Jesus said, go into all the world and make friends, but he didn't. He said, go into all the world and make disciples. Have those conversations that take your friendship to another level. And we do that by spurring one another on in love. There has to be love. There has to be the friendship in place. You can't just go up to anyone you don't know and say anything you want. There's got to be a friendship in place. And I think friendship is something we do as a church really, really well. This is one of the friendliest churches I've ever been to. Honestly, I think we do friendship well. And I think that gives us an incredible platform to be able to do what I'm suggesting that we need to do to go to that another level. We've got a great foundation to put this Word of God into practice. But now we've got to spur them on to do good. You know, and, and, and so um, it, it may be, and parents would understand this, hey, hey kids, love you, but you know what? I need you to keep your room clean. I always tell Mitch, Mitch, you know, uh, before you conquer the world, <laughs> conquer your bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> You've got to conquer your bedroom before you can conquer the world. Yeah. And some of us say, what's that got to do with anything? It's just a bedroom. No, 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 it's not. It's a piece of property that he has been entrusted with. He does not own. He's been entrusted with and he needs to steward well. He's been given a piece of the house by his father to steward well. What does that sound like? Every one of us has been given something by God our Father that we need to steward well. This is no longer an issue about your bedroom. This is an issue about discipleship. You need to look after your room because it's not your room. It's my room and I've given you authority over it. So look after it. This is discipleship and I need to spur him on to love and good deeds. Keep your room tidy. See, if it's just love, that's easy. Hey man, love you. How you doing? Awesome. Hey, look, I, I've been involved in um, people's lives for many, many years. And unfortunately, I've been involved in broken marriages for many, many years. And, and one of the common traits for most single mums, their biggest frustration, if you were to spend any time with them, would be this. Not only do they have to go through the pain of that separation, but probably an equally great pain to them is that they have to be the one who brings all the discipline. And when they go spend time with dad, more often than not, they uh, just get to be friends. And I know that that is frustrating for mums, single mums. Can I say, parents, your kids don't need more friends. They, They need fathers. They need mothers. They need ones who are going to disciple them and raise them in a godly manner and spur them on to good deeds. And and, and so it is for each and every one of us. And it's not just my role as a pastor. It's our responsibility. The Bible says, let us spur one another on to love and good deeds. And and so when it comes to rosters in church life or or getting on and helping with the cleaning in church life, we we need to be ones who don't attack, but inspire them. Spur them on and say, hey, do you love this church? 
Are you grateful for the chair that you sit on? Are you grateful for the fact that we have nice toilets that you can use during the service? Are you grateful for all of that? Hey, well, in light of that, what can you do to help out? Come on, that's another conversation. Then just love you, man. It's great that you're here. And we do love you. And it is great that you're here. But oh, we want to spur you on towards something bigger and better. This is what discipleship does. It stretches us. There is, a, there is a pain and an inconvenience that comes with discipleship that's not necessarily there with friendship. That's why we camp at friendship. Because it's easier. It's the path of least resistance. And my job as a pastor is to stir us up and bring a challenge. And this is what I found to be true in my life, that I have great friends, but I've also lost some people in my life because of this very principle. But I want to encourage you to be ones who are disciples, but also disciple others. As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. This is talking about sparks flying. Can I ask, and please don't show me your hands as someone did in the chapel service, and we got very vocal about this, which was kind of awkward for them. But, you know, in your marriage, have there ever been moments where sparks fly? The tension was so great that the things were said and things were done. Yeah. That in and of itself is not a problem. Us having words, us having moments is not a problem. It's how we manage those moments. In order to take our marriage to another level, sparks will fly. We're not always going to see eye to eye and those moments have to be resolved. Yeah? If that is true in a marriage, because of the closeness of proximity, isn't it reasonable to think that that won't happen in a church? I think sometimes we have a rose-coloured glasses approach to um, New Testament discipleship, that it should be done, we agree, but, but without any conflict. That's impossible. When you speak into that person's will about something that their will doesn't want to do, there's always conflict. There's always tension. There's always indifference. Yes, it must be love, but nonetheless, even with love, just by addressing those issues can cause tensions to be there. And this is what discipleship is all about. It's about more than just knowledge. It's about us putting the Word of God into practice so that maturity comes. One thing that I want to do every time I preach is uh, to be biblical, practical and inspirational. I want to inspire God's people to put the Word of God into practice. Christians are to challenge one another. And this is rare in a lot of churches. Now again, that's why we need a friendship a foundation, sorry, of friendship. You can't just go up to someone you don't know and challenge them. So there has to be the foundation of friendship. But most Christians don't go there and they tend mostly to comfort through small talk. I, I mean, really, think about the conversations we have. And how many of us just said, hey, great weather. Hey, what about the crows? How many of us got here today and talked about the crows' incredible win last night? That was a plug and a shot at every Port Adelaide supporter here. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with that. I love sport. I love the football. I do. But it can't stop there. 
most Christians would be offended if they were asked, is there any unconfessed sin in their life? That would be deemed nosy, offensive, rude. And yet the Bible implores us to do this. Now again, I'm not saying go up to someone you don't know. In the cafe today, and say, hey, buddy, what's your name again? Chris. Okay, Chris, have you got any unconfessed sin in your life? Just putting the Word of God into practice. No, you've missed the point. Foundation of friendship, okay. But how many of us are honest, even with that foundation of friendship? In the midst of all the football, and that was awesome. Hey, do you want to go play golf? Yeah. Hey, mate, how are you tracking? Is there anything that you need to... How many of us, if we're honest, have ever done that? And again, no show of hands. Or do we get so caught up in just having a good time together? Such probing, such conversations is not offensive. In actual fact, it's the key to spiritual growth. We're talking about going beyond friendship. Do I love friendships? Absolutely. Number two, discipleship covers every area of life, not just one subject. See, in a school, generally speaking, it covers one area of life. At work, it covers one area of life. But discipleship doesn't do that. It covers every area of life. See, in your workplace, if you're meeting the KPIs, if you're making the boss money, if the people around you are happy, your marriage could be broken down, you could be addicted to all sorts of substances, but if it's not affecting your work, it's fine. But when it comes to discipleship, other areas are going to get poked and prodded. And this is where I feel the church gets a bad rep. Because in the church, every area of your life is going to be poked and prodded. Because it's what the Bible encourages us to do. And what you can get away with in your workplace, you can be a hero in your workplace. You say, well, they, they love me. Uh, they think I'm awesome. As if to imply, we don't think you're awesome. But we can think you're awesome, but still touch an area. Just because I'm touching this area doesn't mean I don't think you're awesome. You are awesome. And you're awesome with issues. Or you're awesome with a drinking problem. Or you're awesome with a bad attitude. This is discipleship. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about discipleship. As a pastor, we live in a fishbowl. Because you've got to have every area of your life right. If your marriage isn't right, disqualified. If your kids do anything, or call yourself a Christian. (laughs) 
You can't do drugs. You're allowed to drink alcohol, but only a little bit. You've got to have all these things in your life. And under God, we've tried our best to live this balanced life to model what I'm talking about today. Yeah, when I was a young Christian, and again, no disrespect to anyone, and I'm not here to put a person in your mind, but in the era that I grew up in in church, um, it was very obvious that the church had an issue with alcohol. You were not allowed to drink alcohol. That was loud and clear. And I understood the wisdom of that in measure. But where, as a thinking man, I had a problem with that is, why are there so many overweight pastors? Because the issue for me was not alcohol or food. The issue is self-control. And and I thought, hang on. Okay, I get that. I understand the absence of that. I get it. But why is it that we can be so out of shape and that's okay? To me, this is a, a balance issue. Yeah? And I was bold enough to speak into it. Having said that, I can't change everyone, but what I have tried to do is model that the physical needs to be looked after. God God gave me this body and he gave you your body. And it's not about winning a Mr. Universe competition or or winning a marathon. It's just about looking after what God has given us and treating it with respect. To me, that, that was the issue. And I wanted to model that. But what I have learned from time to time is what's worse than having a a bad area of your life is when you have a good area of your life. You can be crucified just as much for that. But that's a whole other issue. But one of the reasons why I went to see Ray Andrews is because I have, am an emotional being as well as a spiritual being. And I want that area of my life tended to. And I remember talking about it at the beginning of this year and people were shocked. But every area of our life needs tending in order for us to be the disciples that God has called us to be. We want to be well-rounded and not just touch one area. And so if a, if a person who loves you comes along and, and touches an area, don't flex all your strong points. Just, just maybe there's an area that needs tending, needs addressing, needs touching. And instead of rebuking that person, thank God that you have people in your world that are courageous enough. I was going to say confident, but it's confident and courageous enough to even go there. And if they don't do it well, um, that may have something to do with nerves. That may have something to do with a whole heap of things because not too many people are practicing this right now. Not too many people are modeling this right now. And so to expect someone to get it right first time is going to be a really tough thing to do. Look at some of these musicians up here. They say, wow, they play so well, but they never used to. It's not like you pick up a guitar and play well first time. You have to keep practicing. 
And I trust the friendship is strong enough for us to, in love, practice on each other. Because it's either, it's either that or not at all. But the discipleship I'm talking about, we're not going to get there without some mistakes along the way. And I want to set you free. You don't have to do it right, but we've got to start doing it. And for those who are doing it and not doing it well, be open to the fact that, yeah, I might have done it wrong. But let's not back off from doing it. Because otherwise we're going to fall short of what God has asked us to do, and that is to make disciples. And we're going to get to heaven, and God's like, see, you've got lots of friends, but there's no legacy. Lots of friends, but no disciples. Are you with me? Is this helpful? Number three, I've got more, I probably won't get through them all. Discipleship involves discussion, not just teaching. See, teaching is one way, like you see in a school, like you see in a church, and there's a place for that. This is not do away with church, do away with schools. No, there's a place for that. But discipleship is also a dialogue. It's a two-way conversation. It's a discussion around questions and answers. It's teaching people to think. It's not just giving them answers. My dad has blessed me in so many ways, but probably the greatest thing that my dad gave me, other than life itself, would be the ability to think. My dad gave me this gift of how to think. And I'll tell you how he did that for me, because every one of you can do this. Even from as early as I can remember, I would ask my dad questions, and he would never answer them directly. He would say to me, what do you think? Which was forcing that little thing in my head, called a brain, a chance to grow. See, the trouble is with most Christians, we've never used our brain. What was that? What happened over there? (laughs) It's like we've all got muscles, but they grow when you use them. And so as a young boy, I would say to them, well, I'd give them an answer. And no matter how off point I was with my answer, my dad would just bring it back by saying, have you thought about this? Which meant I was a million miles off. And what he would invariably do is bring a missing piece to the equation and give me a bigger perspective that I hadn't considered in my smallness of my answer. And then he'd give me another shot at it. With a new piece to the puzzle, what do you now think? I said, whoa, I never thought about that before. And and, and so, okay, um, in light of that, what about this? And invariably he'd look at me again and say, well, that's an interesting answer which means I was probably no closer than I was the first time around. And then he gave me another piece. And each time he gave me a piece, he was giving me a bigger perspective, causing me to see bigger so that my answer wasn't based upon the smallness of my knowledge, but it grew with greater understanding. And every one of us can do this. Every one of us can do this. But I'll tell you what happens. When we're parents and we're tired, 
And we just want the kids, we, just, we give them answers just to get rid of them. You know, one plus one, you, you, no, let me show you. No, you just tell them, it's two, it's two, it's two. <laughs> Any parents ever done that? Cat, spell cat. It's C-A-T, you know that. <laughs> Who's ever done that? Did I mention that discipleship is frustrating? Did I mention that? Takes a bit of time. And we've got to slow down and help people. I thank God. I I see this very same pattern being used by Jesus. I think Jesus only answered three questions directly. All the rest he answered with a question. And it wasn't because he was a politician. It was because he was trying to get them to think and expose agenda in them. And he was brilliant at doing it, particularly with the religious people. On many occasions, one that comes to mind is when the religious people asked Jesus, by what authority do you do what you do? It's a loaded question. And so Jesus says, I'm going to ask you a question. John's baptism. What the heck? What's John the Baptist got to do with anything? Because John the Baptist, John's baptism, um, was it from God or man? And the Bible says they regrouped, they discussed it among themselves. They said, if we say man, everyone's going to stone us because we know he was from God. But if we say John the Baptist, we're stuffed because he'll say, why don't you just listen to John? Because he pointed to me and... So like, oh, I don't like either answer. They come to Jesus, um, Jesus, we don't know. And Jesus said, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do this then. <laughs> he refused to be manipulated by people. He refused to answer questions that were loaded just to give people ammunition. And the whole time, he was trying to teach them. At that moment, they could have said, if we say man, we'd be stoned. If we say John the Baptist from God, he would be, right, he's right. Oh, Jesus, I'm so sorry. That was what could have happened. He was teaching them. They could have come to that conclusion. But pride would not let them. And so because they were full of pride, he said, I'm not going to answer your question. I'm not playing games. Not playing games. Is this helping you today? So learn to ask questions. Let's get the band. I'm going to jump to number six. Let me me just throw them out. Number four, discipleship is a process, not an event. It takes time. It's an investment. Don't think I tried that once. It's going to take more than once. It's going to take a lifetime of discipling people. Number five, discipleship takes on many forms, not just one. Some are in this teaching, some are small groups, some are just organic. It's when you're in the gym. I learned many of my life lessons just working alongside my dad. We'd be sign writing together and we just got in discussion. 
just in discussion. And number six, discipleship involves giving, not just receiving. I believe every one of us should have three types of people in our world. We should have a Paul, we should be a mentor, a coach, a leader. And not just one person, but a number of them. For different areas. I thank God for Chris's dad, Danny Guglamici, who I had a meeting with just this week. And he brings perspective to my world in measure. Then you have a, a Barnabas. And he, he's, that, he's that mate that knows you so well. That when you say, I'm doing okay, it's like, don't be stupid, come on, it's me. What with you, how long? Are you kidding me? You all right? Are you kidding me? I've seen you all right. This is far from that. It's me, it's Barnabas, dude. Have you got one of those in your life? And the third person is a Timothy. See, if we're just taking, that's not Christianity. There's got to be an area where you give back. There's got to be an area, while you're being mentored, you're also mentoring. The whole discipleship process stops when it's just you receiving, you receiving, you receiving. See, in this church right now, we need more connect group leaders where you can get alongside some Timothys and just love on them. But it's like the one area of our church people don't want to get involved in. It's like churches all around. No one wants to lead a connect group. You know why? Because it's frustrating. It's to tidy up after people. You have to talk to them and they don't even listen. So what's the point? And we say, I, I feel my season. I feel God moving me. And that's cool. That does happen. But in this church, we need twice as many, probably three times as many connect groups. Imagine if we had this attitude. You know what? When I get into there, we're going to give something back. Freely I've received, now freely I'm going to give. So we have a Paul, we have a Barnabas, and we have a Timothy. It doesn't have to be just one. Yeah? But can I just say this in closing? It's not as clinical as all that. So here's my advice. Don't ask someone to be your Paul. What I don't want after this is people coming, will, will you be a Paul in my life? Anybody who has ever asked me to mentor them, it ends badly. Because mentoring doesn't start like that. Mentoring starts with looking at someone's life and saying, I want that. And you just ask asking questions in and around what they do to get that. The word mentor doesn't even come up. Be wary of the person who says, will you mentor me? Be wary of them, run. It's people who are just ticking a box generally. Just say, I asked so-and-so to mentor me, I've done that. No, no, no. Mentoring says, I, I like what's on your life. I like that. I like the balance in your life. I love the way you manage your family. Seeing your kids, I love the way your kids are turning out. Hey, can you give me three things that you've done really well as a parent and maybe a couple of things that you'd do differently if you had the time again. 
That's where mentoring starts. The word mentoring never comes up. The word coach or leader never comes up. You just recognize. There's things I've recognized in church leaders around the world. I just like what's on their lives. And so I get on planes and go to be with them. And I've never said, will you mentor me? I've never said, will you be my spiritual father? Will you be my Paul? I just go with all due respect and say, dude, I love what you guys are doing. How do you do that? Yeah? A more recent example of that is Dave and myself got on a plane to New Zealand and we flew over there at a cost to us. We asked questions. Had a particular role in mind and I realized I have blind spots. So I introduced Dave to certain people who are doing the particular role that we need in this church right now. And I said, there he is, poke, prod, and probe. I'm not trying to force this thing. I don't want to make it happen. Just talk. And then based upon advice, we put it into practice. That's where we go wrong a lot of time. We don't actually put it into practice. That's the key, put it into practice. And then off the back of that, give feedback. We've been in constant feedback since. It's, 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 it's natural. It's natural. Discipleship definitely needs to take place. But it can't be the forced way or the pyramid schemed way it was done back in the 70s. Some of you are old enough to understand what I'm on about. It has to be more natural. And it really is as simple as that. But it is frustrating. It does take time. It is costly. It does hurt. And there's a massive, massive chance you will be misunderstood. Can I say that with a smile on my face? Do it anyway. Do it anyway. I need, our team needs, this church needs a lot of help in this area. We need help. Before God, I've tried to model this in the way I live my life. In every area that I've just talked about, having pools in my life, I thank God for all the spiritual input that I receive. I thank God for the Barnabases in my life. And I thank God for the many, 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 many Timothys that I've had over the years, and there's many more to come. It's frustrating. We're going to open up our home to hundreds of young kids over the next few years. And just pour in, pour in, and pour in, and pour in, and pour in, and pour in. And you know what? Will they all come through? Oh, I wish. Statistics would tell me probably not. Statistics are so bad, they probably say most won't. And if, they, and if that statistic doesn't change, then I'm, I'm going to say, well, for the sake of the few, I'm going to do it. Can we do this for the sake of the few? Let's believe for the lot. But if we don't get the lot, can we do it for the few? Let's do it for the sake of the few. I'm looking at Mitchie and Geordie and their age group and their friends. For their sakes. 
tonight we have an opportunity to support and put into practice what I'm saying. Yeah, you don't have to. You might not even need to. But imagine just being there to encourage young people. Imagine being there just to add your yes and amen. Imagine being there for no other reason to give them a hug after that. That was awesome. You spoke to me tonight. That really blessed me. If for no other reason, I'm just, it makes me smile about our future because you're in the church. And I want you to know if there's anything we can do to help in the future, we're here for you. This is discipleship. Or you can say, you know what, I've got, I got work tomorrow. Footy's on. And that's fine. That's fine. No condemnation. But I want to stir you to something bigger, a bigger story. And discipleship is the stretch. Friendship is the relax. Discipleship is a stretch. I've been told this my whole life. It totally stretches me. Makes me feel uncomfortable. I do. I know. I do. I like that about me. It's, it's Bible. Now, you can't live there all the time. You've got to relax. But even that's the balance. This is a word from God for our church in this season. I know that to be true. I've leaked it. I didn't just preach it straight away. I've sat on this. I've weighed it up. I've thought about it. I've prayed some more. And I feel this is very much a now word. Will you stand with me? Thank you for taking the time to listen. If you have any questions, please email us at admin at victorychurch.net.au. 